0: Presented
3: by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: Thanks for listening to the Best of the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday, 3 to 5 Eastern, 12 to Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at FoxSportsRadio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Boom. What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from the com studios. com, where you get there. Unmatched selection, fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection. Over 10000 recommended installers. com, It's the way tire buying should be. Welcome in. I was told last night, Jay Stew, that uh, uh, my brand, my brand as a broadcaster, is one where um, I'll take shots at people that's what I was told, and I don't think that's what it is
4: was this a reputable person or was it a yes, Twitter commenter?
2: It was a reputable person um and he's like you know i, I it just it, it works for you it's really good you know your brand is you know, you'll, you'll you don't you don't care where somebody works and you'll you'll take shots at them and I was like, well what's a shot you know like Shaquille O'Neal said that Caitlin Clark's the greatest women's basketball player ever. And is it a shot to say, like, uh, what Shaq should have said is he's she's the greatest women's basketball player that I've actually ever watched. You know, I've ever watched live or I remember in person or that, that I can recall. That's fair. That would be fair. But it's like, um, Brianna Stewart is widely considered the greatest Women's college basketball player ever. She won four national titles, and um, she's been an incredible pro. If you go back to when we were kids, you have the great Cheryl Cheryl Miller, right? I mean, Kelsey Plum was incredible, who she just passed in scoring. Like, there's other great all-time scores, but we're really – because she's scored more points than anybody else – now, Lynette Woodard is a name that, if you really, really follow college, women's college basketball, before it was the NCAA and they only had, you know, it was basically like club teams, she scored, I think, 3,640 points without a three-point shot. Um, so I can, I do believe you can say both things. Caitlin Clark is an incredible watch. She's a ton of fun. She's Jimmer Fredette, you know? Now, will she be a better pro than Jimmer Fredette? I hope so. I think so. But Jimmer Fredette's made a lot of money playing in China. He's played in three-on-three. He's obviously played a while in the NBA. He was an unbelievable college player. I don't even think any of that's the story. I I think the story is kind of what Cowherd actually touched on, which is, do you know we We like Kaylin Clark? Because she's been in Iowa for four years. I've told you this for a long time, and people denied it. And they're like, no, it's not the good. Like, you can't turn on a TV and you see the names. And look, we've already cycled through coaches at these places, but you watch Duke and Carolina, how many of those players can you name? Don't even let me get started on most of these teams, We so you can't name anybody. At least Duke brought back a good handful of people, Roach and Philipowski and... Uh, some of the others they brought back from last year. But when you, you can't name a single person on UCLA's roster. You can't name a single person on Kentucky's roster. You can't name a single person on Indiana's roster. Like, I don't know who these people are. Because they just got there, and when the year's up, then they'll just leave. So I think it's the whole thing is fascinating. But the part that Colin made w- was right. It's like, he's like, I've been for player empowerment and transfer portal and NIL, but this is, how do you watch men's college basketball? You turn it on, you you can't name the players. And I've done it for a living for over 20 years, and I can tell you it's really difficult. Really difficult. The the issue is that we compare so many things to professional sports when they're not. And we think that people watch because of how good people are at their craft. They don't. They don't. I mean, the, the greatest example that no one ever outside of me wants to make is, what has better basketball, the G League or college basketball? L- let me ask you, Chase um, Stu, the G League or college basketball? What's a better brand of basketball?
4: I'm guessing the G League's a better brand, but I couldn't tell you firsthand. Yeah. I have no right. idea.
2: Dan Beyer, uh G League or college basketball? What's better basketball? Well, it's it's oh, Brian I'm sorry. here. Brian I'm sorry, Brian. And
5: I'm going college basketball just because I I love UCLA and I cover that team.
2: Wait, you you so that's a better brand. Okay, uh, Lorena, what do you think? Again, I, I I understand your level of college basketball lore and watching is is not super high. It's totally totally okay, right? It is kind of nichey, kind of a niche, niche sport. What's a better brand of basketball? uh yeah i i can't give you any answer on that doug that's like yeah but thank you for trying no it's, it's okay uh brian what you said is accurate you love ucla you don't know any of those players if you weren't covering it no chance who could how could you how could you right it's it's just it's impossible And the G League is way better. All those guys in the G League were, if not the best, one of the best players in their college team. But we don't watch it. Why? Because it says UCLA across the front of their chest. That little little guy over in the sideline is stomping his foot, Mick Cronin. I know him. He does the basketball thing. It's not close. The G League's way better basketball. We watch college basketball more. Why? Our familiarity with the front of the chest. And it used to be our familiarity with the guy on the sideline because they've been there a long time and with the team. And the guys that, oh, I, I saw him play when he was a freshman. Look how much better he is as a junior. So there's lots of parts to this, to sports and the sports business that we're just in denial of how it works and why it's successful. And, you know, usually we get on the show and if Cowherd or Dan Patrick or odd couple, whatever, if they say something that we disagree with, yeah, he's the guy who told me I'm – I, I don't think it's taking shots. If, I, if your take is wrong or if I disagree with it, I'm going to say I disagree with it. It's not personal. It's just about your take. In this case, Cowherd had a really good take and a very interesting one, which I agree with, which is the reason Caitlin Clark is such an easy watch is you know she plays for Iowa. And and if you, you don't even have to know I don't know any other player that plays at Iowa. Does anyone know any anyone else who plays at Iowa? Of course not. Here's Cowherd, to start of his show. Caitlin Clark, Iowa star, broke the NCAA women's hoop
6: scoring record. Of course she's shooting a three. She's the biggest star in college basketball, men's and women's. TV ratings, they just beat a Miami Boston Celtic game about three weeks ago. Why? One of the reasons? She's now familiar. It's year four at Iowa. Men's college basketball, one and done, absolute turnstile. I don't feel like Googling the starting lineup when I want to watch Duke play. And it's what's really hurt college basketball. The TV ratings are weak. There's no continuity. I can't keep track. I am for player empowerment, but I don't think it's good for the product. Back to Caitlin Clark. It is year four, but really year two or three outside of the state of Iowa where everybody's paid attention. They sell out every road game. It's like a rock band tour. They sell out every road game. Familiarity matters. It's really important. Transfer portal, NIL, I'm for both. But college men's basketball, it's a, it's a, I, there's no continuity. I can't keep track of anybody.
1: No, year he's two, right.
6: year three, year four. Well, nice. I like a story I
2: can depend on. He, he he's right. It doesn't mean that you can't Carmelo Anthony for one year at Syracuse got to the national championship game. Anthony Davis for one year at Kentucky won a national championship. It does it doesn't I don't actually think the one and duns are as much of the issue as the massive transferring. I mean you, four schools in four years or five schools in five years. It's like what are we doing? You gotta be able to go to a gym and know who's playing for your team and know a little something about it. And what's happened is the pendulum does swing, and we've worked our way to a place of supposedly personal freedom for so many athletes and so many. And one, when you're a free agent and you leave, especially in football, the hit rate isn't high. And two, you need that that continuity, not just for yourself and for your culture and for your program, but also for your fans. Because it's really hard for us to get in on players, some of whom played in our same league but didn't play for our program. And then we're losing our, you know, anyone's losing players with their own program. Familiarity, continuity is is the word. That's what allows people to be successful and it goes in the face of what everyone's pushing for. So many are pushing for in the media and in social media. It's Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox
1: Sports Radio. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio.
0: To start listening.
2: What up, with you got, Gottlieb? Show. Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from the tirewright.com studios. Tirewright.com. When we get there, unmatched selection, fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, over 10,000 recommended stallers. Tirewright.com, the way tire buying should be. I mentioned, okay, we're number one in Wichita. I mean, literally, the number one rated show in Wichita. What up to all my peeps in Wichita? Um, and uh, I'm sure we're soon to be number one in Jacksonville. We're on Jacksonville, 930 AM. Uh, Rick Everett and Kyle uh, Cassandra. Uh, Rick is the VP of programming and Kyle is the program director. Jacksonville is Florida's largest city. Here's some stuff you did not know. Did you know my dad is the former head coach of the Dolphins of Jacksonville? J.U. No? Didn't know that? Yeah. Yeah, I think we need to do remote in Jacksonville. I like Jacksonville. Go down, play some golf down there. Oh, also, speaking of Florida, we can make the Florida swing. We're uh, on our new Fox Sports Radio affiliate in Orlando on 97.9 FM and 8.10 AM. Uh, Also, Rick and Kyle also program those two. So you guys are awesome. Uh, We'll take care of you. You take care of us. All we're asking, and it's like, look, one of these things, California winter weather kind of overrated. We're ready to go to Florida anytime you are. J. Stu, you good with that?
4: I'm always up for that, yeah. right.
2: It's interesting because Orlando. Last time it was Orlando. I was having in Orlando a long time. Last time it was in Orlando. I've been to Florida recently, uh, like a month ago. Yeah, um, but last time it was in Orlando was I played in the NBA celebrity game, which is tonight, I think, right? And this is a true story. What happened? Okay, I, I I hate saying true story, but all my stories are true. This is really like it, it, it's just a. It's just a way to get you get you in on this story so um, I'm sitting in a studio similar to this one probably I don't know two three weeks before the All-Star weekend and a dear friend of mine actually who I went to visit in uh, in Florida Louise Cornetta was my I think she's was my program director at the time I had the year before they had the celebrity game and I was like I'd love to play in that thing why don't they have me play in that thing like ESPN we own the rights like So, she came in. She's like, were you serious about playing the uh, Celebrity All-Star Game? Yes, I was. Well, good. You're on. And I I can't remember the year. Somebody can look it up. I'm going to say it was my kids were little. I don't know why we didn't bring them. It would have been fun to bring them. Um, But put me up at a nice hotel, kind of outside of town. Got in town on Thursday. Did the radio show. But I hadn't, because this time of year... It was in 2012. This was my last year at ESPN. Uh, so, little guy was three. Why did we bring him? I don't know. Anyway. So, I I got done with my show. Or maybe I landed early. I think I landed early. I landed early, and when I was driving to my show, I saw 24-hour fitness. And I'm like, hmm, I probably need to shoot a basketball play a little bit, because I haven't been playing in a while. When you're covering... And my schedule then is like my schedule now, right? Do radio and do do games, and when you do both, like you just don't have a lot of time. Uh, you have to have time for your personal fitness, maybe, but not really to work out, but not really to hoop. It's just too hard. So um, after the radio show, I had no one there with me, so I went to 24-hour fitness, and I'll never forget this. It's one of like uh, I walk onto the court and. It's a weird experience to be somebody who has played at a very high level and because I'm very normal-looking, I'm a as normal-looking a human being as you're ever going to find that played basketball. Like, that's always been kind of the running joke with my friends. Like, I, I, I look I, I don't look like the... I'm the least likely to be a former professional basketball player of any person that I associate with. Anyway, so, you know, eventually I get picked up and the second that I get in the game, because I'm a white guy, um, shooter, which is not technically my game, although with a game of schlubs I am, I end up playing for like two and a half hours, and it was great. I just want to play to be sharp, and I end up playing and having a great time. And because, and and those of you who have little kids, you know this to be true. Like once you have kids, I, I don't know how you are. But for me, it would always be kind of a guilty thing. Like even in my Saturday morning basketball game or sunday morning basketball game at conard high school back when i was living you know in connecticut um you know once you get to a certain spot, you're like man i gotta get out of here i gotta give some of my kids like you just feel guilty of going and playing basketball there's never a time in which you have nothing coming up next but i had nothing so i get done i shower up i go back to the hotel i sleep i wake up the next day and oh my gosh i'm so sore because i hadn't played in like a month so now I got to do a radio show and I got the game that night. And so I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get a little sweat, you know, to get rid of the soreness. Old basketball trick. You go and hoop a little bit and it kind of gets you, your motor going and you sweat a little bit, take a shower. It's a lot like having a walkthrough or a pregame workout. I get to the uh, Celebrity All-Star Game, which was at the Orlando Convention Center and they set up kind of a makeshift arena within the convention center. And Dwight Howard is the coach. And I had no, I covered Dwight Howard at this McDonald's game and clearly had no idea that I could play or whatever. And Rick Bucher was also at ESPN at the time. He's a colleague in, at Fox and now he joins us. He joins us on, on, on my show. And Bucher had been chattering to me. He's like, hey, Tim Hardaway knows your plan and he's in great shape and he's going to kick your ass. So I'm like nervous about this stuff. So we get out there and we're warming up and I look down the other end and I'm watching Tim Hardaway and Mitch Richmond play, and it was it looked kind of sad, right? Like, they just, those guys had played so much basketball at such a high level, they hadn't let themselves go. It wasn't like they were, you know, um, it wasn't like they were 50 pounds overweight or anything, but they just weren't moving the same. But still, in my mind, in my mind, I thought, these guys are just waiting to the game, and then they're going to take it at me. I had so much fun. I had, like, 17 points at the half, and then, you know, I, was, I, I probably did a little bit too much. That's why I didn't get asked back. But did you guys see that Stephen A. Smith claims to have hit a wet spot and sprained his ankle last night, whereas Molly Karam said he got crossed over that's how you end up in the hospital with a sprained ankle? Hysterical. Hysterical.
4: Didn't he make, like, 18 straight three-pointers in a single quarter? Uh, I was seven,
2: se- 17. That's how yeah. he got a scholarship from a program that didn't really offer scholarships. All right. Let's get to this story from Pro Football Talk. I saw this earlier today, and Jay Stu alerted it to me. I thought it was really interesting. You guys, tell me what you think. After years of the NFL and its teams failing to properly secure and/or characterize the results of pre-draft cognitive testing, incoming players, a prominent agency has informed all of the all, all teams that its clients will be instructed to refuse to submit this year. Uh, Kalen Kaler from The Athletic reports that Athletes First sent an email last month explaining the agency's position. Again, there's this new testing called this S2 testing. There's also the AIQ. After much internal discussion, the agents at Athletes First have directed our our pre-draft prospects to respectfully pass on participating in any cognitive or psychological testing during the pre-draft process. We understand that many many of your teams use these tests and protocols as part of your prospect evaluation prospect. However, our recent experience with these exams has been less than positive. Specifically, the fact that certain results and performance were leaked publicly last year demonstrates that there truly is no confidentiality with these tests. It's not right for a player's intelligence, aptitude, or mental processing to be subject to public discussion and ridicule. No other job interview carries the same scrutiny. While our clients are happy to participate in the standard pre-draft physical activities, any football-based interviews or film review, we will not be subject to a wide variety of psychological tests. That's from Athletes First, a big agency in the, in the NFL. Um, Brian Fenley, let me get your reaction to this. I'll give you mine. Let me give you your reaction to, hey, they're like, look, you've been leaking results. Everybody waits for these results, and they're supposed to be private. They get leaked out. We're not doing it.
5: Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to nope. add something. I, I, I don't really know how I feel about this, Doug. I, I kind of want to hear more about what you say about it, and then I want to bounce off of that a little bit more.
2: Um, I, I understand that other job interviews don't have that have S2 psychological testing, it doesn't get public. I, I, I completely understand that. So if the issue is in confidentiality, I think it's a fair issue. I think it's a fair issue. I, I actually really do. Um, I'm a little torn on whether or not it sh- that confidentiality should be allowed because uh, although these are, this can be private testing, the fact is uh, you're a public entertainer, and a lot of times we want answers to why guys weren't drafted, and this is a little bit of why. I think the the better course of action would be, hey, like one public warning. We're going to participate this year in all psychological testing, but if any of these scores are leaked, it will be the last year. And maybe that occurred privately with Athletes First last year, although I I think probably not because S2 testing is rather new, and yes, it was leaked last year. But I, I think that would have been a better course of action.
5: Well, Doug, if I may, uh, so my fiance, it works in the mental health field. She's studying to, to be a counselor. and so I, I, I learn a lot from her. and there's so much subjectivity to working in the psychological realm just because you're getting different people to join and sit in and listen to their stories. And so sometimes psychological testing isn't cut and dry. And that's where I worry about if you're looking at it from that perspective and saying, OK, here's a test. This is what you are like. Sometimes it's a little bit more blurry. And so it, it might have more of a stigma or more of an indictment on somebody, a test than it should, because sometimes it's it's not as black or white, per se.
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I these S2 testing is pretty in depth and yes, there is some subjectivity to it and not all positions do you need it. I, I just um, I mean, obviously it's, it's more really for the quarterback and for some of these positions where you need the, the, the cognitive processing ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think this, this feels like a league and a players association issue more so than an agent's issue. More yeah. so than an agent's issue. So and it's not a kind of test you can study for. That was the whole thing with the what was the old test
5: The Wonderlick or w- Yeah, the Wonderlick
2: was one that you could prepare for. Now some guys had willful disdain for the Wonderlick so they wouldn't you know, they wouldn't do any I think it was I think Patrick Peterson famously scored like a 4 on the Wonderlick, like super low, and his whole thing was and if you know Patrick Peterson, he's not an idiot, and he was just like I didn't care. I I frankly uh, blew it on purpose, which also sounds dumb to me, but dumb in a like a smart guy being dumb on purpose, j s d what do you think?
4: Uh, Athletes First is a very prominent agency. It has yes. um, Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, C.J. Stroud. That I think this is this is where an agency like this and the Players Union has leverage because that whole nonsense about this test with C.J. Stroud and maybe it did cost him the first overall pick. Now they could say that 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 test is complete BS. We are one of the prominent agencies in sports. And if we and our clients are declining to do this, that's a message to the people whoever made up this test, the NFL, uh, wh- whoever comes up with this stuff come up with something different or just don't do it at all. Because th- the CJ Stroud thing was a horrible for his reputation.
2: Yeah, it was. But I mean, again, like teams are going to learn and adjust, aren't they? The okay. t- aren't they going to learn and adjust
4: in in C.J. Stroud's case I just think it, that his reputation was unfairly dragged and then he showed the NFL that the test meant absolutely nothing so yeah I mean I, they should just come up with a different way of testing these people's intelligence or I don't know ability to problem solve I'm not sure but I think this is just their the agency's point is uh, scrap this test it sucks
2: Yeah, I mean, again, but they wanted to scrap the Wonderlic and then this is the new one. And I I think it's just a piece of information, you know, and a lot of it is confirmation bias. You know, if when you think a guy processes fast, then he, he scores well in tests, you know, he processes fast. It doesn't matter if you can't do it on the field. And you bring up a point, a good point about CJ Stroud. Um, but I also think that, again, like the legal adjust to it on their own. I think that their big issue is with the the fact that the scores were leaked. And that's one where you just, you know, do I think it's a little bit of abuse of power? Yeah. But because this this feels like it feels a little bit like the NBA draft combine where agents don't want their players going. And like, what are you really going to do about it? The only pushback the NFL can have is like, hey, look, we can't you can't come to the combine unless you're going to subject yourself to this test. I don't think they'll do that. Um, I think the confidentiality is the, way, is the way in which you protect yourself in the league. And I completely understand because that's really the issue with C.J. Stroud's deal is whatever, however you value the test or don't value the test, it doesn't matter. The fact is that that test score should not have gotten out. And I'm just going to be honest with you, like as a consumer of those scores, I love it when they're leaked Oftentimes, when they're leaked, they're not accurate. And when they are leaked, and even when they are accurate, it doesn't mean that the guy can or can't play. But I think they have a completely legitimate beef in that you can't leak these scores. They have to maintain be private and confidential. We don't we don't leak whatever they're found in their blood tests. Okay? we don't really leak. You know uh, what happens to their body if they have an injury. They usually fall on draft day, and then we'll try and explain, whether well, there's something in the medicals, right, that gets explained. But we don't leak the results of any other test except for the intelligence one. That one I would agree with them on.
7: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app.
0: To start listening, it's the Doug Outley Show, Fox Sports Radio.
2: Mark Stein's going to join us in—I uh, don't know, like seven or eight minutes. We'll talk some NBA hoop with him. Mm, 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 mm. You know, it's interesting. I uh, played basketball, cover basketball, coach basketball. Love basketball, right? Haven't watched a minute of the NBA All-Star Game since, uh, I think since Magic in his comeback All-Star Game hit his shot. I mean, have I passed by it and it was on TV? Yeah. And then you watch and you're like, that's not basketball. I'm going to move on. And they've tried a million different things, you know, having stars pick their teams, trying to make them play defense. They just can't get it. It's so bad. So bad. Uh, one guy who's been an All-Star but won't be there for All-Star weekend is Clay Thompson. If you haven't been paying attention, he's been uh, relegated to coming off the bench and not even playing at the end of game situations. Here's Clay on coming off the bench. found out this morning. Me and Steve had a good talk about it. And, uh, you know, you could do two things. You could pout or you can go out there and respond. And I thought I did the latter very well tonight. So the latter was coming off the bench, right? And the latter was playing well off the bench. And Gold State, and by the way, uh, my pick of the day yesterday was the Warriors against the Jazz. It was a two-point line, ended up being two and a half at game time. They won by three, so I guess you're welcome, but I can't sit there and, and act like. Clay had 35 off the bench. So it's a weird thing, right? Like, there are guys, I can tell you, me personally, I came off the bench a couple of times when I was at Oklahoma State. I was in the doghouse, and I came off the bench, and I'd hate it. And sometimes, you know, coach would use it. I think one time my senior year, I came off the bench, and I, I, I despised it. And then you'd play well, and you're like, man, I shouldn't have played well. Now they'll think I play well because I'm coming off the bench. But the thing for the NBA is because rotations are kind of set, you're playing against backups. It's one thing to go from being a starter and a star emotionally to handle being a backup, but to play against backups, it's kind of a relief. Man, did he demolish, did he demolish the Utah Jazz last night? Crazy. So now it's like, know yeah, if your coach be like, well, we keep bringing him off the bench, he's going to score 35. Whereas Clay's probably thinking, I only scored 35 because I was pissed because it's coming off the bench, right? Stug Outleap Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Let's welcome in Mark Stein. Of course, uh, you can download his uh, amazing podcast. It's called This League Uncut with fellow NBA insider Chris Haynes. Find it where you find podcasts. Um, okay, so Klay Thompson comes, comes off the bench, drops 35. Um, but And some of the coming off the benches, you're playing against bench players instead of playing against starters. Does he come off the bench in the second half of the season when they come back from the All Star break?
7: It went so well, I don't know why they would go away from it, but I think really what you take away is that, you know, Steve Kerr, he's starting to make changes and show he's not afraid to make changes. But I always say this about the Warriors. I just feel like, you know, it's easy for us on the outside to say things like Bench Clay, trade Draymond, like they are dealing with a different set of circumstances than any team in the league because when you win four championships in eight years with a group of players like that, they become royalty. You you don't just just say they're gone, and Stephen Curry doesn't want them gone. And I think Stephen Curry, if you asked him, would say that he wants to play his whole career with those guys. So um, I think it's actually a great thing and a positive thing that, You know, Clay Thompson has clearly had an up-and-down season. It's been hard for him. I think he's been pretty open about what a difficult adjustment it is, like dealing with, you know, he had two major injuries, and coming back from those has proven tougher than probably even he anticipated. But he's still a very good player, and he can still shoot the three at right around 40%. And he showed you last night how flammable he still is, And, you know, he and Draymond Green, their roles are changing and evolving, but they want to be there. I think the Warriors want them to be there. And, you know, it's just, it's just taken them a while to figure out, you know, again, how do everyone has to kind of deal with these abrupt changes. And they are, they're big deal moves to move Clay Thompson to the bench. It's just, it's just, that's easier for 29 other coaches compared to what Steve Kerr, his situation is.
2: Okay, help me out. Um, the story from yesterday was the Lakers are open to the possibility of adding Bronny James, and they weren't open to the possibility of trading LeBron James to the Warriors. So paint a picture for me. Like, what, what is, What's the next six months look like with the Lakers and LeBron?
7: Well, look, I can only talk about my reporting, so I'm going to just tell you the the way I've been covering it, and I Go. wrote about this a lot on Monday. Great. So I think the Lakers did the absolutely right thing at the deadline because if they trade a first-round pick, okay, maybe they get marginally better, maybe they get DeJounte Murray. Does he really change their ceiling? I think the Lakers did exactly right to wait, keep their first. Now at the draft on June 26th, they'll have access to three firsts they do have to guard against at least the possibility that LeBron, that Bronny James is drafted somewhere else and LeBron says, you know what? Bronny was drafted by Team X. I'm just going to decline my player option and go there. I don't think that's the likely scenario. I still think the likely scenario is that he's back with the Lakers. That player option $51.4 That's Doug Gottlieb money. He's not going to get that anywhere else. So it's like, is he really going to decline that, or he could decline it and do a new deal with the Lakers. So I would still say the likely scenario is that he stays a Laker, but the Lakers will be glad come June after the draft when we actually, and look, if Ronnie James, a hundred percent declaring for the draft, I certainly can't pretend to know that, you know, I'm not plugged into college hoops like you are. I've barely seen him play, you know, does he need another year? Will he want another year? I mean, I'm sure they would at least consider that possibility. So we don't even know if Ronnie James is going to be in the next draft. But I think the Lakers will be glad come June that they kept their first. They'll have 3 as of June 26. They'll have a 2029 first that they could have traded at this trade deadline. They'll have a 2031 first and then we'll know if New Orleans has decided to take the first that the Lakers still owe them from the original Anthony Davis trade. That's either in this draft or in the 2025 draft, but the Lakers might have to make a more aggressive move, and I think they'll be happy they have that extra first to work with.
2: More aggressive move in the offseason you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Because, again,
7: they have, to be, they have to be ready to, maybe they have to replace LeBron James, but even if they don't have to replace LeBron James, I think the Lakers have to have an eye on the future and think about, who can they bring in to be Anthony Davis's new co-star? LeBron is not going to play forever. Breaking news.
2: Is uh is Darvin Ham
7: going to make it through the year? Oh, I don't think I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think Darvin Ham is under any in-season pressure. I never bought it. You know, will how the Lakers fare in the playoffs and how this season ends. I mean, you know, certainly I would I would have to think that uh, you know, the, we're going to have to see how everything plays out. But in season, I never believed that he was under a modicum of threat, honestly. He, okay. he is very highly thought of by Jeannie Bus and Rob Palenka. And again, last season, he steered them out of a 2-10 start and a really deep hole. And I don't think Darvin Ham gets enough credit
2: for that. Okay. Um, what What's going on in Milwaukee is Doc Rivers has taken over, and it's gotten worse, not gotten better.
7: Yeah, and I'm surprised because I thought that buy-in, intensity, intention to detail, I thought all, all those things would pick up. And look, I've only seen the Bucks in person once since the coaching change, and that's when they came to Dallas, got down by 25, and came all the way back and very impressively won that game. So I did see it. In my first in-person glimpse of it, but you know that was a bad loss last night, and it has been very bumpy. You know they're trying to make little upgrades in the buyout market, but they, you know, they didn't really have the trade assets to make a significant move at the trade line trade deadline. So they brought in Pat Beverly. They just got Gallinari, but yeah, it's been it's been a mess. And to compound everything, Cleveland has just been off the charts for the last two months, and now the Knicks have been derailed to some degree because the Knicks' injury crisis has just gotten ridiculous. But the belief is they're going to get OG Ananobi back. They're going to get Julius Randle back. They're going to get back to full strength, and the Knicks were fantastic in January. So the East, even with Joel Embiid's uncertain situation in Philadelphia, the top of the East has probably gotten a little bit tougher because Cleveland and New York look so much more dangerous than anticipated, and if Philly eventually gets them beat back, like we expect, you know they're going to be a potentially tough lower seed because they have been sliding. So I think the west, the East top to bottom, you know Miami has had their issues, but I think you can say the East top to bottom it's probably going to be harder just to win the East than we thought coming into the
2: season. Still got leaf show here on Fox Sports Radio. That's the voice of Mark Stein, NBA correspondent for Substack. Of course, co-host of a really, really good podcast. You put in your queue. This league, uncut. Uh, fellow insider Chris Haynes uh, joins him. Uh, they do this podcast. It's really, really good. Um, okay, help me on this. We're We're, we're going to have a little fun with it, but, Steph Curry and Sabrina Ionescu are going to shoot against each other in three point shooting contest and they're acting like this is gonna reset the entire stratosphere. Is it?
7: I doubt that. I mean I don't I don't even think they I don't even think the NBA believes that. But um you know Steph and Sabrina, they're the ones who came up with this. And I think so. If they want to do it, if they're in, in you know, invested in the idea, why not give it a whirl? You know what? What's, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, you know, the dunk contest. You know, I, I just know when I was. It's funny. I, I got to visit with Keel O'Neill last night, and hearing him talk about it, you know, Jack was just going on and on about how in high school when he was a high school kid just how much the dunk contest meant and how good it was. And I feel the exact same way. I mean, growing up in Orange County, California, which is not exactly an NBA hotbed, but at my high school, the world stopped for All-Star weekend, and there was nothing more important than All-Star Saturday night. And it's just, you know, the dunk contest has faded to such a degree. And, you know, we'll see if Jalen you know, I don't think Jalen Brown participating by himself, is going to bring it back, but I tip my hat to him because we don't see all-stars do it. And Jalen Brown wants to do it. And it's great to see that somebody with all-star name recognition wants to participate. But look, I thought Mac McClung was sensational last year in the dunk contest. And it was a good dunk contest, but you know, expectations I think for all-star Saturday night are not exactly the roof. The three-point contest is always still good because you get top shooters. There's always eight good shooters who, who want to be in that. But you know, I see no harm in trying it. If Stephen Curry and Sabrina Ionescu want to do this, have at it. Let's see. Maybe it maybe it turns out to be great. And if it's not great, they tried it. No harm.
2: No question about it. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports. Radio. I me- I remember we used to watch all the dunk contests and the, the All Star games. Well, I just I I. The, the game is so bad and so non-competitive and just a walking layup line, no matter how skilled they are. And then, you know, I I know Aaron Gordon's dunk contest was incredible, but there's so many uh, – uh, there's a level of repetitiveness to it that I, I just I, – Yeah, I can't. The,
7: look, the game is the bigger problem because the game has become unwatchable. And right. look, you know, I am not an NFL guy by any stretch, but they just went away from the Pro Bowl. Like, I, I mean – I don't know. Do, do all-star games still have usefulness and appeal? And it's you know, from the NBA perspective, it's more about the event and getting everybody together and seeing people and just the party atmosphere of it. But yeah, I mean, the game is the game has you know the Sunday last year was just, you didn't
2: even well, want. Let me, to watch let, me it. let me let me ask something, Mark. Wouldn't it make more sense to have instead of the all-star game? have the in-season tournament end now in Vegas. And then, you know, everybody else gets time off. And then if you win, you got to figure out some way to give the people that win time off as well. Like, wouldn't that be better? Because the All-Star, the reason the All-Star Games used to work was because there were players that we never saw, right? right. We, we used to totally. see them, and they never played against each other. And still the teams that you only play twice against an Eastern Conference opponent when you're in the West or whatever, but we, guys switch teams, we see them all on TV, and then they won't play defense. And it, it has well, run that, out of it. Your, scenar- your scenario has been talked about, but the
7: problem there is just doing the in-season tournament the way they did it, it causes so much schedule upheaval and i think the league actually underestimated how much schedule upheaval it causes to kind of find you know they this year when the schedule came out they only announced 80 games instead of 82 and then they had to figure out all the extra two games for the teams that didn't make the later rounds of the in-season tournament. And then in January and February, we get bunched up with back-to-backs because, you know, the Sunday before and the Sunday after the in-season tournament, there there were no games. I mean, there were two days, two Sundays in a row with no NBA games. And just one day without games in the NBA, it really does have an impact because they're trying to squeeze these 82 games into, a, you know, 180-plus days or whatever it is. And it just – I think – I. My gut just tells me that they would not want to have the in-season tournament finish at All-Star Weekend and then try to deal with an All-Star break for those teams. Like, like I said, it, it has become more of an undertaking to do the schedule on the fly than I think even they realized at the start.
2: Um, I need a best guess here. Who's the best team in the West? Who's the best team in the East as of now? Well, look, you've got to say
7: Boston, what they've done, they deserve that designation. But I mean, the Celtics, when the Celtics do lose, it tends to be very ugly and they are still very capable of having late game meltdowns. So there is some vulnerability there. I mean, their top, you know, everybody says they have the best top six in the NBA. And I mean, they really do. I mean, one, you know, Chris Porzingis has been better in Boston than ever but you have to say part of it is because
2: he's friendly. No, he yeah,
7: he's yeah. He's got Tatum and Brown and, no and Drew Holiday and Al Horford and Derek White Those three guys is you know they're more than role players. I mean they just you know so so Porzingis has this opportunity to just be a total difference maker. But they don't have to lean on him if they have to win without him they can and I'm look I'm still a Denver guy I just have Jokic just has my ultimate respect I don't you know you've got to be you've got to counter Jokic that's the question every West team is asking how you know do we have do we have the Jokic counter and Jamal Murray you know Jamal Murray didn't make the all-star game again but in the finals he was sensational and when you look at Jamal Murray's production he probably should be in the all-star game he certainly has an all-star case he's is he the best player in basketball who has never made the All-Star game? Certainly among active players, you could make that argument. They they are not as deep as they were, no. but with Jokic, Murray, a home court advantage, a team that has an identity, knows exactly who it is, it's still really hard for me to imagine. It's certainly hard for me to pick someone to beat the Nuggets.
2: Mark Stein, I, I'm I'm imploring you to do something. That's not my podcast. I don't get a penny from it. I just I know so many people who listen, love hoop like I do, and Mark and Chris Haynes, they know everything going on in the league. It's awesome. Download it's called This League Uncut. He's a correspondent at Substack as well. You can read his work. Mark, great stuff. Enjoy the weekend in Indy, and we'll talk to you soon. Be good, guys.